The nail in the coffin! Episode number 95 of The Nail in the Coffin, Tom and Travis recording on Thursday night. It's been an eventful week here in Cleveland and uh, down in Columbus as well. Trav, we got three teams to talk about tonight. Where would you like to get started? All right. Um, let's, let's, let's go bad, good, bad. Let's start uh, Cavaliers because I have a feeling that'll be the quickest conversation. <sighs> I'm oh, frustrated. I, am I wrong? You sound like you got a lot to vent now. I yeah, I I, I don't know. It, it's it's not going to be a ton, but I think it's going to be pretty pointed. Um, first of all, I'm I'm aggravated that last week when we were doing this talking about the Browns trying to change the culture in their locker room. Although I did acknowledge that the Cavs are not the perfect example, I did kind of use them as uh, a, a one situation where. They had somebody come in, change their locker room, and uh, it changed the culture of the organization, and they went off to do great things. And pretty much since the regular season started, uh, it's been the exact opposite of that. Um, These games are a chore to watch, and I never thought I would say that about a team that has LeBron James. And um, as a Cavs fan and as a basketball fan, I feel like it's an absolute travesty that one of the last years of LeBron's prime and maybe his last year in Cleveland is being wasted with this roster right now. See, it's funny because we've only seen them play a handful of games, right? Yep. And it, it, it feels so premature to say that. But the fact of the matter is they look, they're old. They're, they just went from like, I mean, you wouldn't think replacing Kyrie Irving with, you know, a handful of guys. You look at the roster, and everybody's saying, "Oh, this team's so deep." They are slow. They're old, and I'll I'll say what I heard today from Dwayne Wade, and it's the most accurate thing I've heard. Um, no one is scared of them. When they were in Miami, and LeBron and D Wade and Bosh were just coming in and running people off the floor, teams were a little intimidated. No one is scared of the Cavs right now, and with good reason. No, um, ab- absolutely not. They, they need to change something drastically and quick, uh, more defensively than anything. Um, but yeah, there is a, there's a lot of work to be done. I feel like there are guys, yes, they're old, they're veterans. They all serve a specific purpose and in the right situation, each of those guys individually can be useful. Together, they're not. And if we learned anything from the past few years with David Griffin running the team, what was the one word that he used over and over and over again when it came to roster building? Fit. Everything had to fit together. All the pieces had to fit together. Players needed to complement each other. And when you look at who's off the roster from last year and who's on the roster this year and the strengths of the and weaknesses of these guys, the fit more often than not with these different lineups, they keep trying to, to throw out there and, and mix and match the parts. They, they, they don't fit. They don't mesh. And, um, you know, when you've got guys that are just dying on pick and rolls, like if I have to watch Derrick Rose 
try to defend a pick and roll one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and, you know, Kevin Love, that's never been his strength. And it, it just, you know, then, I mean, Jay Crowder is, I'm disappointed with him. Um, is he one of those guys you think, like, um, Brad Stevens' system just made him look better than he is? Yeah, but how many times have we seen guys that LeBron made look 100 times better than they actually were? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's the thing is LeBron looks great. He does. LeBron looks like LeBron. Nobody else looks like anything. Yeah, and, and LeBron will even be the first to tell you. I don't think he's in tip-top shape either. He's because, not 100% for sure. Because he missed most of the preseason with the ankle. Um, and it's going to get worse before it gets better, I feel like, because now Tristan Thompson's going to be out for a month. So, uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating to me. And I understand it's, you know, the first week of November and the Cavs are notorious for mailing in the regular season and playing down to the level of their competition. But, uh, you know, it felt like the lesson that we learned from last year was they developed bad habits during the regular season and when they really needed to get it together when it counted in crunch time. They, they couldn't string it together enough against the Warriors. And, you know, you would hope that this year was going to be about setting a better tone, establishing better habits. And we've seen none of that so far. Um, I, you know, it, just the, the, the lack of shot making, I think, has been frustrating. But obviously, I mean, the, the defense has been uh, just uh, un, unreal. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it again. It's... For me, I mean, the Cavs are my number one, and I it, it, they're appointment viewing for me every time they play. And if I've got something going on, I'm going dark on social media. I'm not answering text messages. I'm setting the DVR and making sure yeah, I can watch it. About, we got to talk about this policy, by the way. Okay, we'll save that for another episode. But no, no, we can we can probably get into that now because that that policy might be getting shelved for a while. Because I I can tell you the uh, the game the other night the who who was the most recent loss against the Pacers? They're all blurring together me at, at this point. Like, yeah, last night was the Pacers. Okay. I didn't DVR that one. I, I was passively watching it as I was working on other things here. Um, but, yeah, because it, it's just gotten to a point for me. Like it, It's not fun. It feels like work watching these games. And if you feel like the team that you're invested in is not really 100% invested in what they're doing out there, then why should we be invested as fans, right? Sure. And, I mean, we've we've – I mean, for the last three years – we've pretty much you know plotted through the regular season saying you know let's get to the playoffs and figure it out you know they'll figure it out when they get to the playoffs um that's that's a risky game to be playing um and at the rate they're going um i mean the playoffs are a guarantee let's be honest let's not go crazy i know they're right. out of the playoffs right now but let's be reasonable here um they're not they're not even close to, you know, if, if the playoffs started, let's, I hate playing that game, especially six games into the season or whatever, but um, they wouldn't be close to favored right now to get through the East. No. And it would be, it would not be what we're used to in the playoffs right now where, you know, they just kind of steamroll the first couple teams and maybe, maybe lose a game or two in the Eastern conference finals, but they're just, they're ugly right now, and I'm not sure how to fix it. I think um, I'm not I'm not going to you know push hard for this or anything, but uh, Ty Lue might need to make some changes in terms of I don't know what he is 
in charge of or I don't know how the responsibilities are divvied up, but someone who can get them playing suitable defense needs to be in charge of that, regardless of who is it who it is now. I don't care. Um, someone that knows what the hell they're doing needs to get them doing you know pretty much everything differently than what they're doing right now because any any team in the league can just come in and shoot them out of the gym the way that they're defending the three in the pick and roll. Well, one of the problems for the Cavs and what you'll see a lot is they're missing three pointers and their shots that they would have hit in past years. And when they have those long misses, especially from the corner, I mean, those are instant death because you have a defend, a guy, a shooter who off a miss becomes a defender and he's as far away from the opposing basket at the other end of the floor as he can be. So these teams, they're taking those misses and it's off to the races and they know to send guys out to the wings and, you know, they know the Cavs are not going to defend the perimeter well and it's bombs away. And, you know, for all the talk about players meetings and airing it out and Halloween parties and everything else, and, and I get it, they're not fully invested in things right now and that's fine, but, you know, you, you gotta, it can't be this. Um, so, it, so I mean, one to one to ten. I mean, yes, it's it's horrible basketball. And it's really frustrating to watch. How legit worried are you? This is like this is radio hack right now. <laughs> what's what's your what's your panic meter right now with Cavs? My my Joe B's panic meter. Um, yeah. yeah. Or are uh, you gonna charge charge eight fifty a month for it? I, that's that's <laughs> what you're at, huh? Is it eight fifty? <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I, I, it's still not even a five, but it, it's probably a four and a half, and it probably should be like a two, um, but I don't know, I don't know if worried is the right word as much as it's just aggravated. Like, no team with LeBron and Kevin Love and and the rest of the guys that they have on this roster, um, should look this bad, no matter what junction of the season we're in. So yeah, I, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't think there's a, that's this is sort of why I went with it first. I don't think there's a whole lot to add to it. It's so damn early, obviously, and the frustrations are valid. But you're still, you know, optimistic that they'll get where they need to be. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot else to say, really, right? Right. I'll tell you this: it'll be interesting Friday night. They've got the game at Washington. And just kind of listening to some stuff from, you know, the national guys that cover the league. I think Washington's one of these teams that has a, a lot of confidence right now and is starting to kind of puff out its chest a little bit and thinking this could be their gear to knock off the Cavs. And they are circling this game and kind of wanting to make a statement. And I will well, say for his bet- those games. What's that? Also tends to circle those games, right? Well, I was going to say for a, for as bad as the Cavs, check. as bad as the Cavs have looked, they won on opening night when they played Boston, and they went into Milwaukee, who's another team that's expected to be uh, among the best in the East, and beat them by what was that about fifteen or eighteen points or whatever. So, I mean, it's it's maddening. I mean, the Cavs are notorious for playing to the level of their competition. You know, let's see if they decide this is the one that they're going to try to bounce back and start putting it together. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, and I said it. I mean, I said it when we kicked off the season. I said that you're going to see a lot of ugly basketball. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I don't think I expected it to be this ugly, though. No. No. 
you uh, you did say that. You you also said some things last week about the Buckeyes, and I believe I tweeted at you after the game on Saturday against Penn State that if yeah, you no, wanted, I just get to told you so, all yeah, day. yeah. If you want to just go sixty minutes of saying I told you so, uh, you are the floor is yours. Yeah, I said after the game, and and obviously that game wasn't like a maddening game to watch, right? Because let's let's be honest. Ohio State dominated that game beginning to end. Minus a couple times they shot themselves in the foot. Every time they had the ball, they were you know moving the ball at will. Um, I, Penn State I, never really got much of an offense going. No, I was uh, going to say, I turned the game on and it was 14 to nothing already. I mean, that happened in the blink of an eye. So I watched it the rest of the way through. And from what I saw, yeah, Ohio State, you know, it was, <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell happened in those first couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, you you give up a, a a touchdown to start kick off the game. That's obviously worst case scenario. Um, just terrible coverage, and this is one of those things that Ohio State fans have been screaming now for a while, especially against good teams. Just kick the goddamn ball out of the end zone um, every time. I don't care about the five to seven yards you gain by pinning them close. It's it's the most infuriating thing, but. And then you fumble second play of your offensive drive. You're already down seven. You spot them the ball at like the 23, I think. And they, they, you know, quickly go down and score on you again. So worst case scenario, punched you in the mouth. Um, and then pretty much kept that lead the rest of the game. Couple, It's one of those games that uh, a couple mistakes by Ohio State were like as bad as could be. Like couldn't be any more like crushing. Um, a couple uh, really bad calls by the officials that had a much bigger impact than they should have had. Um, and that was that was really the game for Penn State. Outside of that, they got routinely manhandled. And um, I, I don't know right now if I had a big game tomorrow. And you, I wouldn't have said this last week. I love the guy, and I would not have said this last week. But if I had a big game tomorrow, and I could have any quarterback in the country, I'm taking JT Barrett. Yeah, let's talk about him a little bit. Because you said going into that game, that he was going to have a huge day, and this was going to vault him back into the Heisman race, and that—that's pretty much exactly what happened. That—that that fourth quarter that he had, what did he go thirteen for thirteen? That's as good of a quarter as I've seen a guy in college play in years. Yeah, his phenomenal. The game, yeah, he finished the game. I want to say it was like seventeen to seventeen, and it's, I think this might have rolled over into the third quarter. Um, but seventeen to seventeen for hundred and seventy yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he tacked on another almost 100 yards on the ground. Um, he went, I think, 33 of 36, had four drops, like right on the guy's hands that just hit the turf. Um, he was as good as I've ever seen an Ohio State quarterback play. Um, I saw Troy Smith, obviously, when he won the Heisman. Braxton Miller had some incredible games. Um, Terrell Pryor obviously had some incredible games. That was as efficient and... Um, unflappable as I've ever seen a guy. Even better than Steve Belisari? Oh, I don't know about Steve. Steve, <laughs> Steve. Steve was something else. He was no Joe Bowserman either. Let's not get, let's not get carried away. Todd know. Beckman, is that the... That's right. <laughs> Justin Zwick, all the classics. Oh, oh um, yeah. <laughs> but, and I said that last week, and I, and I believed it. I thought he would have a big game. I did not see it going the way it would go. I did not see them coming out that sloppy. Um, and, and if if I'm correct, I think there is a guy who 
lives in Ohio right now who has a history as an incredibly detail-oriented special teams uh, coach who just had a show cause expire who should be coaching Ohio State special teams yesterday. Because they just – if without special teams, that game's not even close. It's a runaway. And I'm talking about Jim Trussell, obviously, who, if you don't know, I have – an irrational man crush on for a guy that's like what, 70 years old and like <laughs> nerdy as they come. Right. Um, so wait, you, you think Jim Trestle would, would entertain the idea of coming back to coach special teams? No, of course not. But I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> Just had a check. I, I thought it was only my first beer here that I cracked open, no, but no zero chance it would happen, but I want it to. All uh, right. All right. But a lot of guys, I think, People will look at that game and be like, oh, Penn like if you just looked at the score and saw the way that like Penn State broke a couple big plays, if you didn't watch either team, right, up going up into the game, you would think, okay, Penn State's just the better team. Even when Penn State was up big, if you were watching, just watching the plays, you'd realize, yeah, Ohio State's way more talented. They're bigger on both lines, they're faster on both lines, they're more athletic across the field. Um, obviously Saquon Barkley is a special kid, but he had uh, one run for 36 yards, and outside of that, he had 20 carries for eight yards. Wow. Like, that's – I know he was the Heisman front runner. That should immediately eliminate you. Um, and he's not going to have a big game to, to do it against the rest of the year either, so to make up for it. Um, and he's been bottled up a couple times. So, I, I, I mean, I think he'll probably still be, you know, top five draft pick, and he'll be a pretty good pro. But um, a lot of the stuff that he does – I think was kind of exposed to stuff that won't work against like NFL teams. He has a knack of like, you know, running and jumping back and doing those, those sort of cuts that work in college when you're faster than everybody. Um, Ohio state obviously has, you know, one of the two or three best defensive lines in the country. That shit didn't work. It, it, it doesn't fly because they were blowing up your line and there was two or three guys in the backfield every play. So that's not necessarily his fault, but um, I think he, he may, have a little bit of what Zeke got um, in Dallas. I'm not saying this is what Saquon will get, but I think it's kind of what he would need is to be put in one of those positions where you got a, a tailor-made offensive line that's you know loaded and ready to create big holes for you. Yeah, so that generally is a good formula for a running back, um. right? <laughs> and I'm not going to say that like Zeke wouldn't be good, but Zeke wouldn't be anywhere near what he is if he got drafted by I don't know, like Jacksonville or you know someone like that who doesn't have that line. I'm just thinking of teams that were drafting early that same year. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I keep coming back to it, and and you know we're closer to the Iowa game now than we are to Penn State, but um, just how impressed I was with Ohio State scraping itself up off the deck there. You know, everybody comes in with a plan, and what's the old Mike Tyson line? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. mouth. Yeah, so, I mean, I guarantee you, whatever the game plan was had to be altered, if not completely thrown out the window, when they find themselves down 14 nothing right off the bat, and they know you you fall here, and you let this, especially if you let this get out of hand, you know, you're, you're, you're playing for pride the rest of the year. So, uh, stakes were high there, especially considering, I mean, it was just a game in October, but I mean, pressure was on and they were up against it. And to be able to deliver under those circumstances, I, I just, you know, I was really impressed. And, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic regular season game. Yeah. Um, and think about it now, like if you're, 
if your team going into the playoffs, say there's four teams in the playoff, right? Um, if if you're anybody, Alabama, Notre Dame, I don't care. I don't know that there's any team I'd rather avoid than Ohio State. Well, I, I would. I, I'd take Bama right now. I was um, going to say I I don't know that I'd want any part of the big two SEC schools right now, but. Um, uh, I think the SEC championship game is going to make you rethink that position. Okay. Uh, um, but here's here's a little scenario for you. We watched one of – I mean, that's an all-time great regular season game, right? Yep. Ohio State, Penn State, two really highly ranked teams, big stage. Um, all the chips are on the table. The conference is basically in the balance. Huge comeback from one team, incredibly entertaining, great television. Now imagine that it meant nothing. That's what happens if this playoff ever expands to eight teams. So now I'm going to get on my soapbox and say, leave it at four for the love of God, because I can't, I do not want to be deprived of those games. Um, Cause let's be honest, if it's an eight team playoff, Penn state doesn't care. They just got to win th- three or four more games and they're still in the playoff. Yeah. And it doesn't. Right. Right. So I think when you look at that, when they talk about, I mean, they always say, Oh, you know, they'll expand the playoff because of money. Um, that game got one of the biggest numbers. I think the biggest number college fo- college football game on Fox, um, maybe regular season. I don't know. It got some huge number. You can get that money on the regular season. If that game, you know, if, if that game doesn't really have any magnitude, I'm not sure it's pulling that share that it got. I'm not sure people are really as interested as they were. Um, obviously your Penn State and your Ohio State fans will tune in, but I don't know that you're roping in the casual fan because neither team is really out of it. No, I mean, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme at that point. Yeah, I mean, we could see that with college basketball. I mean, the college basketball yeah. season go starts this weekend in theory, but how many people are paying attention to college basketball before the week of the conference tournaments? Right, right. I mean, none of it, like nothing. Like, you know me, I love college football. It's probably my, my favorite sport. Um, I love it because it's the only sport where every week is important. Every single week is important. There's no other sport like that. Um, so I, I would hate for them to, you know, water it down in any way, shape, or form. And I thought, I'll admit, full disclosure, I thought the initial playoff move to four would do that. Um, I don't think it has. I think they've they've done it in a good way where it's there's still a lot of significance to it. Um, but I think when you get to, I think if you get to eight, it it takes a lot of that weight away. Yeah, it feels like they're at a good number right now. As long as they don't play the semifinals on a terrible night, then I think it's a pretty good system. Yeah, and um, they've uh, they've changed it around so they won't be. Well, it's back to New Year's won't. Day this year because it's back to the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, so that'll be good. Yeah. Um. All right. So it it, it is a four team playoff right now. Ohio State, as of the first rankings that came out. Uh, a couple nights ago, they they would be on the outside looking in at the moment, although we know better than to get worked up about that, considering that the Ohio State won the title the first year of this playoff system. I think they started the first week of those rankings at what, like 14th or 16th or something? Yeah, back in uh, 2014. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were down there. I don't remember exactly what, but yeah, you're right. Right, so the mid-teens, so being 6th right now, I, I think they'll be fine, assuming they win out, but... Uh, Anything else about those initial rankings jump out at you or uh, anything grinding your gears? Well, I will say the one thing I don't want to see is um, 
Georgia and Alabama both get in. Um, I think Bama's going to win that. I don't think I think Georgia's kind of playing a little bit over their head at the moment, but um, I think that kind of waters it down a little bit. And I don't know. That, I, I don't maybe not waters it down, but that's one of those ones that if that say that SEC championship game turns out to be a classic, right? Both teams come in undefeated and they both play their asses off, and it's a great game. And then it means nothing because they both get in the playoff anyways, right? What 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 was the point of the game? So I I think that's that's maybe and maybe that's not fair because you know if they both go in undefeated and their last game is against one of the two or three best teams in the country, and they lose a close one, I should that hurt them more than like an Ohio State getting blown out by Oklahoma or you know Penn State losing a close one or Ohio, whatever the case is, you know. Um, but I think if you're gonna throw four teams together, it needs to be, it needs to be as close to like avoiding rematches. Like I just, I just don't want to see if if one team already beat another team, um, especially right at the end of the season. I think that should count for something. Now Oklahoma and Ohio State might test that theory, um, because I think if they both went out, they'll both deserve to be in, um, and they'll both get in, but. Overall, I think it's just like when LSU played Alabama a couple years ago. They had that great game. Uh, LSU won by I think it was like nine to six, something insane, right? Yeah. And then they replayed each other in the BCS championship game, and that game turned out to mean jack shit because Alabama skipped the SEC title game, um, got a week, you know, an extra week off, and then and went that BCS and, championship and game was LSU awful. The game. It was terrible, right? Um, I just want to see it. I want if you win, I want it to count for something. Um, I'll say so I this: I just want to keep. I want them to keep that in mind when they're throwing matchups together. All right. If you want to keep this thing at four teams, you definitely probably want to be avoiding having two teams from the same conference in at all costs, especially in a year when Notre Dame is in position to make the playoff. Oh, because, you know, just by the fact that you've got five power conferences and only four spots in the playoff, somebody's getting left out. There's a major conference champion getting left out every year. Obviously the Pac-12 is out. Oh, right. I was going to say, if that's if that happens this year and you get two SEC teams and Notre Dame in, now all of a sudden you've got three of the five power conferences left out of the playoff entirely. Yeah. And I can't think of a scenario that would drum up more support faster to expand the playoff than that. I'd agree with that. I think, I think my I've always been of the opinion that if you're going to tell me, hey, and this is not the case this year. So CBS will tell you on every commercial that it is the case, but it's not. The SEC is not the best conference in football. Um, personally, I think the Big Ten probably is. No, we got for the SEC. We got to borrow LeBron's line about describing the Cavs roster from last January. It's top heavy top as heavy shit. As shit. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like um, the two teams that were a top, uh, two undefeated teams right now, Alabama and Wisconsin. They've each got, I think they're each 8-0, both undefeated. Between them, they have played zero teams that had a single vote in the AP poll. Mm. Not like no ranked teams. Not a single vote. That's terrible. Like, really mediocre, shitty teams get a vote. That's kind of incredible that you could get this deep into the season and still have that be true. It's It's November. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Alabama's played half their conference schedule already. So they're not beating anybody. Uh, Alabama will always 
as long as Saban is there and their recruiting classes are what they are and they keep, you know, making a name for themselves in the playoff every year, they'll continue to get the benefit of the doubt, fair or not. Um, Wisconsin obviously will have to beat Ohio State, and if they do that, then they'll probably get in because they'll have the most impressive window to finish the season, right? But I think if you look at if you look at who teams are playing, I think a team like Ohio State who has the balls to call up Oklahoma and say, yeah, let's put a home and home on the schedule should be rewarded. Um, Oklahoma, same thing. Like I was going to say Ohio Oklahoma State. then needs to be rewarded yeah. for playing Ohio State. For winning it. Sure. Yeah, for winning it. And I'm kind of torn on do I th- – if, if the roles were reversed, I'd be saying no way Oklahoma should be ahead of Ohio State. Full disclosure because I'm a homer, right? Um, but when I look at it, I also do have to ask like which team – if they played right now, which team do I think would win? Now that's not the over, you know, that's not the overpowering thought. I think it does matter who actually won the game because they did play a game. But you also have to look at where a team is now and how they're playing right now. Um, but I honestly think if Oklahoma and Ohio State both went out, they're both in, and I don't think that matters. Okay. If All I right. were to predict, if I were to predict right now, I don't think Oklahoma wins out. I don't think Notre Dame wins out, and I think it's easy decisions for everybody. All right, I could. I'm thinking. I'm thinking through that. I, I, fair enough. A lot of football to be played. That that's the thing with these things every year. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, there there there. I guarantee you, are at least three WTF losses in the top ten coming that nobody right now in a million years would predict. I mean, it happens every year. One of those top six teams is going to lose. Easily, not just not just Bama or Georgia versus each other. One of them is going to lose before the end of the season. Right. It, it happens every year. So <laughs> who can avoid the landmines, right? No kidding. No kidding. Well, there's um, one team up here in Northeast Ohio that can't seem um, to avoid a landmine to save its life. And uh, dear God, um, I, I don't even know where to begin with uh, this this latest uh, disaster. Um, the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, the Browns, uh, yeah. All right. So they're, I mean, they're obviously the laughing stock of the league before this week. They were the laughing stock of the league. They somehow managed to completely outdo themselves in a way that I don't think even you and I ever foresaw coming. No, and I, I will I will tell you I, I've I've got the receipts to prove that because on Monday night when Jimmy Garoppolo got traded to the 49ers and we knew that was a guy that had been linked to the Browns and they had the assets to easily trump what the uh, Niners were offering in that deal and then we find out that the Browns uh, didn't even know about it and didn't even know he was available until after the deal went down allegedly. I said we've reached terminal velocity on this this brown spiral. It, it it this is it does not get any worse than this. From watching Deshaun Watson to Carson Wentz, who respectively were each named the the offensive player of the month in their respective conferences. Deshaun October. Watson will not be the offensive player of the month. Next no, and that sucks. That yeah, that's. That sucks. Um, but let's let's start with let's start now. Let's do the Garoppolo thing first yep. before we move on to the coup de gras. Um, what were your thoughts when it went down? For initial instinct, 
Uh, I was I was surprised. I just you know I, I did not think that they were looking to deal him at this juncture of the year. I I was not I was surprised he was on the block. So I guess that was my initial reaction. And were you angry the Browns didn't get him? I was. Let's pretend you're a, you're a big Browns fan. <laughs> I was less angry that the Browns didn't get him, and more angry that it seemed like they got caught napping. Because in a way, it kind of reminded me of the Holmgren era, when they had the assets to move up, and they let who was it, Washington, I think, just blow past them and and trade up and ended up getting RG three before the injuries and everything else derailed him. Um, but it was just one of those situations there where, you know, with with the Holmgren front office, they, they apparently got caught napping, and it seemed like that was what had happened here. And I, that, that, to me, felt unforgivable. All right, so I heard, and you and I sort of disagreed on this. When I first saw it, I said, fine with me because – I think he would have been basically an eight-game rental in the first place. I don't think he would have signed with the Browns. Um, at the end of the season, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Yes, they could franchise tag him, but he can also just refuse to sign the tenor and hold out. If you've been sitting in, with a winning organization for four years, waiting to pick where you go play, you can wait out the Browns. Also, heard that... Um, sorry also heard that Garoppolo's agent is also Tom Brady's agent right. who has an incredible relationship with uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, obviously because he's reworked his contract several times to allow the Patriots to stay where they're at. Right. So from what I can tell and from what I've heard from people who know far more about these things than you or I do basically say that he told the Patriots, not Cleveland, you can send him to San Francisco. Yeah, because there was a couple of, of beat writers that cover the NFL that said like that he was never going to Cleveland. There was never any chance of that happening, and they kind of left it vague like that. So that's what we assume they meant by that. And so I yeah, and so I think the Browns took a lot of heat for that. Like, oh, the Browns couldn't give up that. Yeah, the Browns could have, and they probably would have, but that's not how it works. Right, the team but has to agree to it too. There's a huge difference between calling and being told that and having as we were, uh, you know, as reported that they had coaches apparently calling people in the front office saying, did you see what just happened? And, oh, oh, he got traded. Oh, he was available. Uh, again, I mean, we got to kind of qualify all this with this is what's being reported and you never know the full truth and we probably never will. But right. if that's how that went down, that, yeah. I, I need to at least know that they were told we're not trading him to you, you know. You, you, you got to be there to make the call. Yeah, and how persistent were they really? Um, so so we'll never really know. I do think they're taking probably a little more heat for that um, than they probably should be. Yeah, but... What they should be taking a ton of heat for is what happened yesterday. Right. Going down for us. I, I still can't... So th this was, what, Tuesday then that they, uh, the trade deadline... This deal with uh, that fell apart for AJ McCarron. Um, first off, I'm I'm gonna say the more I've thought about this and and read about it and had a time to digest what was actually going to be exchanged, I 
Pick the Browns. Glad it didn't go through, right? Probably dodged a huge bullet. So the Browns it, can't even screw up right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I understand that Hugh Jackson worked with AJ McCarron in Cincinnati, so he knows him, and he got to see him firsthand. But to me, it says an awful lot that a team would be willing to trade a quarterback to a division rival, especially when you consider that their starting quarterback is Andy Dalton. So if they consider another quarterback on their roster that expendable, that they would uh, be willing to ship him off to an in-division team. Which they've never done. They've never They have been, never traded never with the Browns. Trading with the Browns, right. Right. So the fact that a, a team that in their division that they've literally never traded with and they're willing to send a quarterback there – and it's not exactly like they've got Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady under center for them now. I think says an awful lot about what A.J. McCarron's stock is, even if they would have been getting a second and a third round pick in return. It also would have been a little frustrating that you gave up more for McCarron than what Garoppolo, what got. Garoppolo got. Yeah, right. right. But long story short, they agreed to terms with the Browns, and I think it's sort of I think it's sort of a gray area right now about who really screwed up. Um, but probably the lion's share of the blame belongs on the Browns. And somehow the Browns screwed up the paperwork. The trade didn't get approved by the league. Uh, they got it in too late. And all of that negotiation then out the window. Um, and so somehow they make the bye week and the trade deadline incredibly entertaining without making any moves. So what do you make of this other report that we see that uh, D. Haslam went nuclear on the front office the day after the trade deadline, because I, like I have it. opinions on this. I like it. I mean, I don't, I, I, she should. Um, I mean, there's, there's people who have, you know, uh, you know, questions about how involved she should actually be. Um, but let's be honest, she's married to the owner. So the team is, she's married to the owner. I say that, but she's actually also the owner. Right. Um, so I don't care how much football she knows. You can turn on ESPN yesterday and look and see, yeah, who, whoever is running the office in the Browns doesn't know what the hell they're doing. And if I'm the owner of that team, I'm doing the same thing. Um, so I think that's that's totally fine with me. She has every right in the world to be pissed off. Um, I, I would be upset as well. Um, I, I think it's been interesting that with this latest regime change, I, I think... Uh, the organization has very much uh, there's been a very concentrated effort to shift uh, ownership in the way it's you know the way that ownership of the Browns is referred to from being Jimmy Haslam to Jimmy and D Haslam she's been a lot more public facing it seems like in, in terms of being a co-owner of the Browns um, and that seems like a conscientious decision but as far as the whole going nuclear thing I don't know really what purpose that serves. I, I that doesn't portray stability. That doesn't portray. Um. That that doesn't get, reassure me. Like, does anybody, whether it's front office or or coaching staff, with the exception probably of Chris Tabor, the special teams coach, is anybody going to survive this in the off season? Oh, Teflon Tabor. Right. The untouchable one. Exactly. Um. See that that's that I think that's probably the question in town. Who who do we have back next year? The head coach, the front office, neither or both. None of them. Nobody's coming back. I I, I would think, be floored if anybody's back from this. Back. I think he survives. 
I don't. And I'll, I'll say this. It's only been a year and a half, right, since this front office came in. And they told us when they came in, like, this is new. This is a new way of doing things. Um, it's not going to be immediate. Well, you're act like you're acting pretty immediately on it. But if you're going, you know, two and thirty in two seasons, or even one and thirty-one, I'm not even. I'm not even that. You know, obviously, I mean, wins and losses matter, and I'm not going to say that they don't. But you know, you're selling me on a vision to build a team through the draft because you're stockpiling picks. How am I supposed to trust your talent evaluation skills? When, to this point, you have passed on Carson Wentz, you've passed on Deshaun Watson, um, you couldn't get a deal done for, for Garoppolo, you couldn't, I mean, just on and on and on. There are quarterbacks out there that the Browns were in position to acquire, one way or another, and to this point, what they've given us is Cody Kessler, Robert Griffin III, um... Kevin Hogan and Deshaun Kaiser and you know it it, it goes on and on um I, I've seen nothing that's great that you got all these picks coming up in 2018 but I I've seen nothing that tells me that okay that you're gonna know what to do with them especially at the most important position on the field yeah I mean yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. Like, um, I just I, how how am I going to trust you to pick a quarterback when you've had this and, and and the Wentz one especially when they were so confidently puffing out their chest saying we didn't see anybody in this draft who would be a top twenty quarterback in the league top twenty so that's the top two that you're saying that no quarterback would would crack the top two thirds of the league. And Wentz right now I think is either the odds on favorite or near the top of the pile for league MVP. Yep. Yep. He's playing his ass off and it's not like he has a ton of weapons. Like they're okay. They got an okay offense out there, but um, like you look at like Nelson Aguilar, he wasn't much of anything before. Um, Alshon Jeffrey has obviously showed glimpses and he hasn't even been great this year, but um, yeah, I, I honestly didn't, I didn't buy it with Wentz just because it's one of those guys. Like, I don't know who he played. Like, if you go, where do you go? North Dakota? Is that right? Right. North, North Dakota, Dakota State. State. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm never really going to buy in before the draft. It's hard. Same thing with like, uh, what's his name? Josh Allen. Is that the kid at Wyoming? Mm-hmm. Um, guys like that. Like it's, it's hard to really evaluate them. Right. So I don't crush them too much for passing out. I'm going to, because these are the guys that are telling us they've got these advanced metrics and, and they've got these numbers and they've got these systems. Like, your systems are broken if, if these are the results you're giving us. You, you are you are taking guys who can't play, and you are proudly passing on guys who can. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing. You shouldn't... <laughs> that's a big thing! Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good way of putting it. I don't mind that they passed on it. It's sort of like the LeBron thing. I don't mind that he left. I care how he left. <laughs> um, I don't mind that they passed on him. The way that they, like, thought that they were, you know... If they came out and said, you know, we think he could be really good. We're not 100% sold. We think it will help us more if we can get a little more talent. We have so much that we need, blah, blah, blah. We're not really that worried about it. But the fact they gave us that, you know, 
won't be top 20 spiel and all that other bullshit. They just look like guys who, you know, think they're in the room and they have no real evidence to support that. Just beyond that, just procedural things like not being able to follow or, or file paperwork on a, on a deadline. Um, I just, these are things that can't happen. They just, yeah. you can't have that. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's it's one thing to, to pick bad players, um, to pick guys who aren't as good, you know, bad scouting, bad ev- talent evaluation, things like that. You're lawyers, and you don't <laughs> know how to do paperwork? Like, no, that's not, no. And it, it, it it's one thing to not be great at, at things, like I said, like not great at evaluating talent or picking great players or missing on players a lot. When you can't do the basic stuff, that isn't like it's not subjective right it's not like oh i I got a bad read on this guy i didn't i thought he was this but he was actually this no you fill the fucking papers on you send them in like this everyone else knows how to do it we we don't know the exact specifics of how all this went down but the degree to which this was a catastrophe I, i just and, and how many other times, if it's not this, it's something else. Like, these are just things that don't happen elsewhere. Like, I know there have been instances. I think, like, the Broncos had something where there was a snafu with, with paperwork on either a player re-signing or a trade or something. Yeah, or, Elvis Doomerville. Doomerville, that was the one. Yeah, they had to sign him before he became a free agent. And when he became a free agent, uh, Baltimore snagged him up. Right. So, I mean, it, it's and not entirely unprecedented, but instead. the the, the – just – it keeps happening. Just things like this keep happening. And then after this happens, we get statements coming out from the coaching staff to certain members of the media. And then said members of the media are publishing their emails with names redacted. And it's just like that. That's the kind of stuff that you can't have getting outside of your organization. You can't have going public. I mean, we all see we can we can see what's happening from the outside. I don't need to actually read statements from inside saying that like yeah you know as bad as you think it looks from the outside it's even worse. You know I you can't have that. So you know to me that that's that to me is what it, you know when we start getting down to it like I just I don't see how anybody survives this. Another thing with the coaching staff is if you clear out the front office I don't see how you you keep a coaching staff. Because I don't know at that point, like, who you're bringing in to run your football operations, saying, like, these are the coaches you have to work with. Anybody that's going to come in and run a front office is going to want their own coaching staff that's going to work with them and, and be philosophically aligned. And I, I, I don't think that anything that's transpired here in the year and a half that th- this crew has been in place is necessarily going to say, hey, take a flyer on us. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess that's the one thing I think of. I do think... Hugh Jackson will probably he get, he'll kind of get a raw deal here. I think he's a good coach, um, but yeah, if you change the front office, you have to let them pick their coach. That's just sort of sort of the unwritten rule, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating, I guess, because forever, you know, the Browns have never been able to get the coach they wanted. You know, they've had to settle for the the Shermers and the Pettens of the world, or Mike Patton, sorry. Um, <laughs> they've had to settle for these guys who no one else wanted. You know, they were their fifth, sixth, seventh pick. Um, Hugh Jackson was the first guy since probably Butch Davis that they were like, this is a guy other teams want. We want him. And they got him. Um, <coughs> excuse me. 
Um, whether that was actually true or not, who knows? You know, did, did were teams really as interested as they seemed at the time? I don't know. But it's frustrating that we finally got the guy that we wanted, um, our first pick, and he's only going to last two years because we're going to change the front office. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if I 100% agree with that because I, I don't. Well, that's because you're wrong. <laughs> I yeah, I mean we we we're starting to rehash some of what we got into last week. Um, just in terms of I, I, I don't think it's all Hugh Jackson's fault, but I also think he has done some things that I feel like have contributed to the problems. Um, there's there's a lot of blame. I mean, when you're one in twenty three over the course of a year and a half of football, there there's plenty of blame for everybody. Yeah, so. it's it's it, you're not just losing games; you're looking worse every week than you were. Although, you know, they played well first uh, first half last week and completely fell apart in the second half. But um, at times, they've shown very, very brief glimpses. But far and away, they don't look like a team that's getting better every week, right? No. No, the one thing I will give the Browns credit for is I've never gotten the impression that their players have quit. And I, I still feel like they're playing hard. Which, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We have Kenny Brett on line one. Okay. The exception that proves Although, the Although, I guess to quit, you would have had to start in the first place. Uh, so, you would actually have enough. to be on the fair field. Enough. Fair enough. Um, but no, I, I, I do think the vast majority of that, because like we've seen in past years, especially at the end of the season when the games are meaningless, you can tell when guys are putting a postage stamp on it. And I still don't necessarily feel like that's going to be the case this year. Like I, I, I've not seen, I've not felt like that's the case in the games that we've watched to this point. So maybe it'll get to that point, but I don't think we're there yet. So, you know, if you want one in the, in the positive column for the coaching staff, I, I do think that is something uh, that's not nothing, but it it's not enough. So. Um, here's a question for you. Yes. Over um, receiving yards for the rest of the season, Kenny Britt or Josh Gordon. Ooh. <laughs> Currently, Kenny Britt has about 150 yards for, so he's got a bit of a head start. Okay. But I, I don't even know that we even want to jump in too much. Josh Gordon has been reinstated. Will he actually play this year? Who knows? Um, he's allowed to go to meetings. I think he's not allowed to practice for maybe three or four weeks. And I think, I, think I saw the first week back. of December is the first yeah. week he can actually play. Yeah. So. I, I will throw out option C. What are the odds? What odds would you give me that neither one of those guys catches a pass the rest of the year? Oh, uh, Kenny Britt will catch a pass the rest of the year. Maybe really? A couple, but. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's even... been a healthy scratch here. Yeah, he'll. I mean, they'll need bodies at some point. It's the Browns. All right. Well, that's. I mean. He's not going to make an impact. He's not going to be good. He might he might catch four or five more. I also think Josh Gordon's probably going to play a couple games. Boy, you, you've been riding for him for I a long time. Josh, this I, this I is going to be sweet man. vindication for you if it comes I comes to fruition. God, imagine if they had managed to keep Pryor and my prediction of those two being the top two receivers was just a couple years late. What could have been? And as bad as Terrell Pryor has been, he'd still probably be the best receiver on this team right now. Yeah, that's how bad. Not not saying much, but uh, not 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 great, Bob. Not great, <laughs> not great Bob. 
Oh. Anyways, so anything else on the Browns? No. I, I, anything I, else on anything? You're exhausted, aren't you? I, I, I am. I'm just – I'm really happy that Ohio State got the, the sports week off to a really great start, and it's just been awful. I, I don't even know how else to describe it, from, from dysfunctional to um, just debacle. I, did I guess. you watch any World Series, or did you care at all about the World Series? I did. I, I watched some of last night. I tried to get into it just because it's Game Seven of the World Series. That game sucked. Um, it was already yeah, it was five nothing when I turned it on, and Dodgers kept trying to make it interesting and just couldn't put runs on the board. Um, yeah, kind of a bummer that a series that was so good kind of just went to Game Seven and then kind of hit a dud. Ended on a dud. Yeah, that yeah. was that was that that kind of sucked. But yeah, it, it had been a good series up to that point. So. Um, did you, know, you have a rooting interest? Did you pick a team like that? Ah, this one, I guess. Not, not really. Uh, that was I mean, Houston, I guess. I didn't really care either way. Yeah. Um, once we got knocked out, I said I didn't want to see the Yankees or the Cubs, so I got what I wanted. At that point, I was, you know, whatever. And I only watched a handful of innings here and there. I didn't watch. I didn't even watch a single game all the way through. I will say that Dodger Stadium is probably one of my favorite venues to look at on television. So that, having the Dodgers in the World Series and, and seeing some daylight during World Series games was kind of cool. I'm going to throw an opinion at you that I know you will hate. Oh, boy. I'm not sure if I've thrown this out there before. Vince Scully is wildly overrated. Oh, 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 no, no, no. How dare you? hundred percent. And that's not to say that he's not very good, but the nonstop, like, I've been hearing about him for the last three years about how he's this American institution and you know, he's the greatest thing ever. Like Jesus, give it a fucking rest already. So the guy told stories instead of calling the game. Cool. Like it was just too much for me. And I didn't feel this way two or three years ago. And I think, you know, had they not like been pumping him up like crazy for the last couple of years, I wouldn't really care. The farewell tour Um, did it for you. yeah, Yeah. It always does. It's just completely unnecessary. It's why I like Tim Duncan so much. This guy just left. You know, like, I don't need to hear about how great you are. You did it for a long time. You had to be pretty good at it, right? Oh, that is, that's a hot take. Uh, take that to the bank. I don't know uh, if I even used that. I, I, I will not co-sign that. that I, yeah, Vince I Scully is a national treasure. He's an institution, and, and I will not let you besmirch him. That, I know uh, I'm in the minority. You are very thing, much in the minority. Four game one. Give me a fucking break. Throw the pitch. Start the game already. Jesus. I'm I'm going to get upset, and I'm going to let that go. Um, I, no, I, I, just, just getting upset. Oh, that's, that's no good. But, no, I, I will say for Houston, um, especially given everything that the city's been through this year with the hurricane, Back in uh, September, there, um, I saw a really powerful picture. This this family, I guess, was uh, their whole basically their entire home was destroyed down to the to the studs, and uh, they had a TV set up in a room that had no drywall up, but they were I think just on one semi functional piece of furniture gathered around in their home watching game seven of the world series last night. It's just kind of helps put things into perspective of like, you know, real life stuff and, and just what hell they've probably been through. And to be able to get that at least, I mean, it doesn't put your house back together, but uh, at least for a few hours, you know, that's, yeah. that's fun. And yeah. 
So it, it was one of those things where it sort of felt like, I don't know about you, and I didn't say it at the time, so it's revisionist history, but it kind of like, when the playoffs started, you're like, watch, these fuckers are going to win now because of this shit. Like, and not because of that, but <laughs> it's just one of those stories that's like, yeah, this is what's going to happen, son of a bitch. But I was rooting for him, so I can't really say too much. Yeah. So, good series, but, uh, yeah, the, the hot stove is here, so. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That about it? No, that about does it for me. Yeah, I think I'm good, too. Time to the Buckeyes play this weekend. They have an early game again? 3.30. Ah, okay. 3.30 at Iowa. So, it'll be light. It'll be one of those weird, overcast, kind of light, kind of dark games. The best kind. <laughs> yeah, it won't look great on this one's ones that doesn't look great on TV, but it's football weather. There you go. Big Ten football. All right, folks, subscribe to our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast listening app you use on your phone. Uh, our website, where you can stream every past episode dating all the way back to show number one, is thenailpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the nail podcast. And if you're on Twitter, follow us at the nail podcast. Uh, we will be back, I suppose, next week. Hopefully uh, the Browns can uh, not step on every single landmine between now and then and uh, keep their fingers and toes intact. Uh, maybe the maybe the Cavs will uh, show a pulse. Maybe? What do, you, what do we think? Guy can hope. Here's hoping, man, because uh, it has not been pretty. But Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh... I don't know how much more regular season garbage like this I can sit through. Yeah, I, I hope they give us something good to talk about because uh, I, I, I I don't know how much more I could say about uh, what we've seen so far. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, for Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.